Welcome to episode 197 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and today we're talking to Michael Elias, whose You Can Go Home Now is about to be published. Thank you so much for talking with Speaking of Mysteries, Michael. Well, thank you for inviting me. So let's talk about revenge. Uh, it's complicated, uh, at least in You Can Go Home Now. Aside from the fact that revenge is a terrific instigator for story, what made you choose revenge and revenge on many levels as the central theme of your new book? Well, I think it's, uh, I wondered about why, or it occurred to me, why is revenge so much part of our cultural heritage? Uh, and we, we enjoy it so much and we expect it, so much in good guy versus bad guy, films, books, television. And yet at the same time, we're told that it's not socially acceptable. It's, not, it's something we should not either contemplate or uh, imitate or whatever. Yet, yet we, we worship it and uh, we're immersed in it. And I thought about, uh, okay, let's, so I, that's what I thought about in terms of somehow... I think that that's something that I'd always wondered about. And then I found this story or I came upon this story that would fit it. Where well, that could floor it. It's, it's challenging to create a protagonist and especially a New York police detective without falling into tropes. Uh, but Nina Kareem stands out, at, at least to me. Um, uh, she's very complicated and she's morally ambivalent in a very real way. Uh, I think. Uh, while she's driven by revenge personally, it might shape her work, but she can compartmentalize the personal from the professional. And so how did Nina come to you? Hmm. I think I wanted to, do, to discuss and write about somebody who is obsessed with revenge, getting even, as it were, uh, who had this incredible tragedy or crime inflicted upon her uh, and the destruction of her entire family, her mother and her little brother. And uh, she, I think there's something about that, the fact that it happened to her when she was a, of a certain age, she was a teenager, and she said, had it happened when I was later, or maybe when I was younger, I might not have had the same searing uh, or branding uh, uh, to carry this out and, and let it become my obsession. So, and she becomes a police officer uh, specifically to help her exact her personal revenge. Yes, that would that would allow her to uh, access databases, allow her to investigate, and at the same time, I think, uh, in terms of the, whether it's a conflict or something, she actually is a pretty good police officer uh, and uh, detective, and she solves crimes along the way, but always is this uh, is this uh, quest or this obsession to find out who killed her father and exact a revenge. Well, I, as I was reading the book, I appreciated the, for want of a better word, offset approach you took to the subject of violence against women, and specifically violence against women perpetrated by husbands and partners who were police officers. 
you grew the outrage slowly through Mina Kareem's investigation. And I feel like that took patience and finesse rather than sort of throwing out there on page one. You, you grew it and you let it build. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think, yes, I think it was a conscious choice to, to, and also to let her be exposed to the violence done against other women as she went along and their children, uh, and how that, uh, how that kind of, uh, in certain ways informed her. She's not the only victim. And, uh, uh, the violence that she sees, uh, against uh, women by uh, their partners um, and also this desire to protect them and their own desire to protect each other, I think was, uh, was motivating. And then, and of course, in the end, she has to come to terms with somebody who is in, inspired by the same motive to also exact revenge. So uh, it's a never ending circle. Uh, I don't have any, I mean, solutions, but uh, I think that's, that's her, that's her journey in a way, pardon the expression. But it was, it was, it was interesting to me because uh, revenge is woven through, throughout the book and we are perceiving it through our own idea of what we consider justifiable revenge and, you know, sort of a cultural filter because there's another revenge that takes place in the book that, that most readers will be appalled by, but perhaps readers of that particular uh, culture might not be appalled, uh, appalled by. That's what I meant by this being this sort of multifaceted uh, revenge handbook. Mm. Yeah, it, and then the question is, is there any satisfaction in it? So uh, she has to ask that. That's questioned also. Um, uh, it's so. It's an interesting thing about you know what what is what is the nature of justice in the in the state. And there are those who will argue. I'm not sure I'm one of them. Those will argue that the state should provide justice. It is to the victim. Or the, the relatives of the victim to decide on the punishment that the state should not punish in the same way. That's not necessarily my opinion. And it's always said, well, if you give the choice to a, say, the mother of a son who has been murdered, uh, what to do with the murderer, quite often they will say, I don't want this person to be executed or uh, uh, capital punishment. I, I can't take any more any more deaths, and it won't solve anything. So, and in certain societies, that's the way it is. The, the, the question is left to the victim, not to the state. So, I think but that's the, too. But the murder of Nina's father, which which you discussed uh, a few questions ago, it, as you said, it's, it's an act that defines her life. It has it it happened at a point in time that was crucial. Uh, it set the course of her life. It, it um, made her go to the to college and then to uh, study criminal justice and then into the police academy. Um, her, her father's murder, though, was also an example of violence against women. 
And one of the things that, as I was reading your book, was, you know, the violence against women. It was, it's a great book, and it's, it was an enthralling story. Uh, but violence against women is just exhausting. And it's getting worse. I mean, we, we know that because of the pandemic, uh, there are more, there, 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 there's more violence against women because they, have no, they can't leave the house. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed your question. If there were, what, there wasn't that? really a question. It was just it was just a an observation uh, that that this book weaves these various stories of violence against women, and I wanted to point out that that it's not always direct. That the assassination of of Nina's father was also, I felt, an example of violence against women. It was a, it was a an act that. Uh, in retaliation for women having choice over the determining what they're going to do with their bodies. And that is to me, an act of violence against women as well, even though her father was not a woman. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, by extension, you're absolutely right. Um, That is violence against women by, by uh, killing the people who can, uh, give women, allow women to make their choices and, and, and provide them with health care. Uh, and we can go to uh, uh, clinics that are being bombed, clinics that are being outlawed. Uh, that's all part of the violence against women and usually inflicted by men. And, and that's another point about the exhaustion that, that for women to sort of fight off this violence even if they're if they're not in abusive relationships, it's it's a discussion I've had with with friends and relatives quite often in the past three years. That uh, even with the, with the election in 2016 and um, the Me Too movement, it's just it's exhausting. It's <laughs> very it's it's in a way it's cathartic and it's something that I think we as a civilization have to go through but it is exhausting i agree i agree um but it's not all dark your book and and we should mention that you're also a playwright and a screenwriter including one of my all-time faves the jerk oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) and you can go home now it's not funny it's not funny but there are shades of very very dark humor and i'm thinking specifically of nina's romantic relationship uh, with an ex-cop turned uh, loan shark. And I just found that very, very tasty. And so yeah. my other question is like, you know, where did that come from? That that was, it's it's genius, but where did it come from? I don't know. Uh, uh, oh, I, you know, I think I just realized I knew in Central Park and when I had a dog and my wife and I would go walk our dogs in Central Park and there was a place called Dog Hill behind the museum, the Metropolitan. And people would sit around and, and, and they would have dog, you know, watch their dogs play. I don't know if they do it anymore. And uh, one of our favorite people there was, uh, he, had a, he had a beautiful white German shepherd. And it turned out he was a loan shark. <laughs> and he was this really nice guy. Uh, so I think he was the inspiration. Uh, my the only loan shark I knew, and he was actually a nice guy. Um, so, yeah, and I wanted to do. I mean, she's sort of. I mean, I think when you see there's, there's humor in the book is partially because she's 
she's acerbic, she's bitter, and that can make you also be funny. Um, where the guy says, uh, where she busts a guy for making a comment in the gym about her butt, and she follows him out, and he's got a handicap sticker. Uh, and he's got this buff body, and, he, and, and she, she makes him cry. <laughs> Remember? She says, uh, uh, he says, I know people in the police department. She says, that's a very bad thing to say. Don't, don't, don't use that one. And then she, she, takes, she confiscates the uh, handicap sticker, and she uses it for herself in emergencies. <laughs> so when she doesn't want to have a cop, cop sticker. I don't know. She, yeah, you can't, I don't think uh, I could write anything without kind of trying to be funny sometimes, you know, it's just, I think it's in my nature. And uh, uh, I, how do you write without humor? I mean, it's, it's well, some humor. It's a reflection of your human nature. And I think uh, it's the way things are in police departments and in medical facilities and, uh, there has to be some sort of humor or we'd all really just run into traffic. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah. that's, but, but it, it's an, it's one thing to say that it's another thing to integrate it into a story that could be just uh, weighted down with darkness with absolutely no sort of, comic relief at all and and i think you've done a really good job of integrating just like you said the 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 handicap placard which she, she then keeps uh and and bobby her boyfriend who is a loan shark and and you know with knowledge of the police department it's 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 you know more than mildly brilliant Oh, thank you. And he's, now I remember also that I knew a guy who, I guess, yeah, he was an ex-cop. Or he, 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 no, he said, this is on the Lower East Side and at the same, around the same time. And he said, maybe he was even the bookie, I mean, the, the, the loan shark. And he said he, he had a choice when he graduated. He could either become a cop or he could become a crook. And he said he would rather be an honest crook than a corrupt cop. So he made that choice. I noticed that you were on the playbill for the joined forces of Noir at the Bar Queens in D.C. Uh, this weekend. We're actually talking on uh, Thursday, June 4th. Um, you know, it's a, it's a killer lineup for both days and a wonderful way to expand the reach of what has been local Noir at the Bar events. So these days I'm asking writers about the challenges of launching a book in a time of social distancing, in a time of pandemic. So I'm going to ask you, uh, in addition to Noir at the Bar, which will have already happened by the time this interview is posted, your pub date is the 23rd of June, what are you planning to do to engage readers? Well, I, uh, I think I have, a, I have two bookstore um, uh, live events, one at Diesel, uh, the 23rd, and then one, I think, the, f the next week at um, uh, Poison Pen in Arizona. Do you know that? That's oh, yeah. The yeah. And uh, the social media and uh, what else? Um, interviews, bloggers. Uh, uh, so I guess, uh, and, and I have someone who's working on that for me because I'm, I'm pretty bad at it. Uh, and I answer, you know, I just try to 
do everything um, and write letters to friends and say, buy my book. <laughs> well, I think uh, as far as the social media aspect, I, I, I think you do a pretty good job. And I think uh, I know I know the person who's uh, helping you and she's just an ace. And of course, you're on this podcast and I'm assuming yeah. you're going to be on other podcasts as well. It's just... Uh, I guess you your book is coming out on the sort of the far end of this, and, and bookstores like Poison Pen and Diesel are sort of coming out of their shell. Congratulations on that! Oh yeah, thanks. But I, uh, I'm actually, I mean, this I must confess, it's a part of me that's relieved not to sit behind a desk and write something in a book. Uh, I that's just this is okay with me to do it uh, virtually. Um, there's a part of me that's very shy about that. Although uh, I always remembered, and I wonder if I had the nerve to, to write what Eve Babbitts does in her books. And she would always say, I couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, this pandemic, this social distancing, uh, safer home, lockdown, whatever, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's been an interesting thing for writers, uh, because it's it's how we work for the most part. No, that's the that's the. I don't want to say it's a dirty secret, but when I talk to my friends, they're quite happy. Actually, they won't. I mean, they're, they're the thing, they said. I mean, I have one 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 guy who says, "This is great. I don't have to travel. I don't have to go to dinner parties. I don't have to host dinner parties. I don't have to worry about." He says, "If you and I would, what we really would be doing now is figuring out our next lunch date." We don't have to do that anymore. We can do without guilt, without shame, uh, sit at our desks all day and write. And uh, that's not bad. So, <laughs> it, Well, you're right. It is, uh, you know, it is a bit of a dirty little secret that, uh, first of all, writers frequently, uh, you made a joke that you're dressed when we, when we started this Zoom, we're recording it. Yeah. We are seeing each other. But... Uh, Three or four mornings out of five, uh, I usually start and I'm still in my pajamas. And I think many, many writers are in a similar state of uh, comfort. It was, a, it was a producer once told me, don't get out of your bath, bathrobe. <laughs> that was his way of saying, just keep writing. Don't get out of your bathrobe. <laughs> Well, it's, anyway. it, it, it is interesting, but at the same time, there are a lot, a lot of writers um, that uh, just can't write right now. Well, I'll tell you what I, what I do is when I sit down, and, and by the way, I was, never, I was never a person who got up in the morning and started writing, never. What my day as a writer was to avoid writing as long as I could. And then finally, when I had run out of all the things that I could make up doing, start writing because there was nothing left. So it's what I'm saying is it's more difficult to go to Animal now. I don't impulsively, uh, I think I can get something at Trader Joe, whatever it is, or, or buy clothes, or all of that stuff. You can't, I can't do it as easily as I used to. So my, there are fewer things to distract me in a sense. But what I, what I found useful is to uh, sit down and write a few letters. And then somehow I'm, I'm into it a little more and, um, and write to friends and answer stuff. And that kind of gets me into it. Uh, 
I think, I don't know, try it. Well, it gets your butt in the chair and your fingers on the keyboard. I used to have that sort of procrastination when I was uh, working for publications, when I was working for the Los Angeles Times, because uh, there's nothing to me more motivating than the idea that uh, I find fear a tremendous motivator, that you will lose your job if you don't turn in your assignments. So that was, that, that always sort of worked for me. But this is, this, this is just different. And uh, as I said, I hope um, my, some of my fellow writers that are, are feeling the same challenge um, uh, will sort of be able to move on as we're able to at least have the opportunity to leave our homes, whether we end up doing yeah. that or not. Well, this, this, I mean, this is not, this is really bad. I mean, no, I don't have to tell you this. And also, uh, I have a son who is confined to quarters. I mean, this is terrible. He's 27 years old. I really feel terrible for him, not for me, for him, that he can't go out and do what kids should be doing. He's like, you know, it's just, and, and, and his friends, he hasn't seen friends. I'm, I'm, I'm married. I'm, I mean, I'm living with a wonderful woman and it's okay, but it, it's not for him. It's not. And uh, my stepchildren the same way. So, uh, and I do like to travel. I mean, I mean, making jokes about it, it's good, for, but it's, it's, there's nothing good about this. Nothing. And I'm sure you, you like dinner parties as well. So you strike I I do. <laughs> Are you working on another book? Uh, I, I kind of would like to see Nina again, uh, or any of, any of these characters, actually. It's, it, uh, it ends on a very interesting note. I certainly am not going to share that with the <laughs> listeners because we want them to read it, but um, she's interesting. Yeah, well, I'm going to try to do another. I am. Um, um, I have one. In, I have one novel, another novel which is finished, and but is inappropriate to follow. I have been told a thriller, uh, and it's a novel about um, the adventures me of a Hollywood writer. Uh, fairly political, and it involves a lot of the Vietnam War, the rise of CAA and Michael Ovitz and all that stuff. And it, and he's, he's an interesting comic, uh, fellow. Anyway, that's, but that's done, but it's not, but I'm going to sort of hold that off. And then I started another thriller. Um, and I can't, and Nina's not in it. I tried to think of a sequel, but I, I, I couldn't. And, uh, instead I'm writing a, uh, another thriller, uh, that's set in Maui, and uh, a man is uh, searching for his wife's killer. So I guess it's the same kind of obsessive. He, although he hasn't sworn to kill the killer, it's not about revenge. It's about discovery and secrets and stuff like that. Secrets, the source of many good <laughs> yeah. thrillers. Um Michael Elias, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us about your new book, You Can Go Home Now. Uh, it was a great read. I think uh, if anybody does go to the beach, we might see it. And thank you for setting the next one in Maui. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maui Underground. Uh, Maui, no, Maui Noir, I will, I will describe it. But thank you. You were very challenging. I, uh, this was, uh, yeah, it was really good. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to have met you. I hope challenging is a good thing. It is very good. It is very, very good. 
Very good. Well, um, I appreciate your time. I do. I know you must be a busy guy, so thank you.